Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And today... A very special guest. I'm honored to have my brother, who is has done so much, not only for the industry, but like we were just talking before uh, the show that we were get into a little bit. But a uh, uh, really wise person that I'm so grateful that took the opportunity to be on the show, Mr. Josh Stanley. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, Land, it's a pleasure. True pleasure, pleasure, brother. I'm really excited. So we're just talking, I, I have a bunch of questions for you, but I, I think this is a topic that we should really bring up and let, let people sort of, you know, understand and chime in your mindset, because we're talking about this, this whole thing of being a visionary. And sometimes you're like, you feel like you're on an island by yourself. And I'm sure people like Richard Branson and, you know, all these, you know, big thinkers feel the same way. What do you do to get people to sort of start seeing your big vision instead of having this myopic view of how things should be? Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the hardest things. I think many people experience the same thing. It's like you see the entire painting almost before it's done. Okay, so you see the possibilities and every intricate moment of it. Okay. And then we deal with everyday reality and life and people that say, okay, I have a more myopic view of this and I understand, okay, yes, there are steps that need to be taken. But what often happens is the vision gets lost because perfection has become the enemy of the good. Hmm. 
And, and too often, then the translation is lost. I liken it to like the whisper campaign. You can give this beautiful picture of vision to the first person. By the time it reaches the 10th person, it has no meaning, you know? And so when you, when you get into entrepreneurship and true visionary aspects of, of who you are, who I am, you know, we understand a fundamental design. And that is this. You're not going to change the status quo. You're not going to disrupt the milieu by continuing to do what's already done. Okay. Even if you're even adding just little, little blips of adjustment to it, it takes great mutative leaps to be able to cause those mutations. And mutative leaps are what? They're, they're speed bumps. Yeah. They're not easy or everybody would be doing it. Right. But they're necessary for, for human uh, evolution. And we've reached a point right now in our human evolution where we're, we're in trouble. Okay. From, from environment to health. I mean, uh, to energy. It, it, it's rampant everywhere. And, uh, and so then, then what do people do? They stay myopic. They choose sides. They give up. They choose fear. And, uh, for me, it's never been an option. So my biggest, you know, thing that I could tell people that I, you know, I like to say all the time is listen, don't let it drag you down and don't give in to the myopic view of others. Appreciate it for what it is, but stay true to your own path because then pretty soon you start second guessing yourself and shame and guilt and then you're like oh am i even doing this right pretty soon your vision becomes so skewed and you're not making that impact yeah and you're absolutely right and i'm kind of going through that right now because i i have this big vision and and people i'm working uh with uh, are are they're they're concerned about making mistakes and oh you know we got to get it right we got to get it right i'm like who who the fuck what's right i don't know we just have to do it and then learn there's no such thing as right we have no idea and it's like holding me back with these reins of getting it right. And let's, let's iterate. No, fuck that shit. Let's not iterate. Let's just go and learn. That's right. You just said it right there. Mistakes <laughs> are our greatest allies. Okay. If we're not making mistakes, we're not moving forward, period. There is nothing perfect. And so what mistakes are welcome. I mean, those are the trials and errors because every single moment in our life is an opportunity to expand. Or we can contract, you know, we can also curl into a ball. I think we've learned over the last three or four years that fear is far more contagious than any virus. Okay. Yeah. But, but exploration, experimentation, love, design, you know, these things are far more contagious than fear, which is on the same wavelength, just a little bit of a shorter frequency. Right. And, and so welcome those mistakes that that's when you know, you're moving brother. A hundred percent. It just, uh, I think, I think sometimes in this process, uh, you know, you, you're starting to think about, okay, well, I took a risk here. I should be, I should, that, that word comes, keeps coming up. I should be doing this, or I should be uh, getting more money for this, or I should. And then you start second guessing yourself, uh, as you said, and having people around you that can say, Hey man, you know, stick to the vision because you got something that's really helpful. It's a, it's a good check-in. And so I, I appreciate that from you too, man. Yeah, for sure, man. And, and always remember that visionaries, you know, there's the old saying, the pioneer gets, gets the arrows, right? That's true. So what, guess what, you know, buck up. Okay. Because you're blazing a trail. And that's why this whole modern day ideology of privatization is over. The days of, of patenting things, you know, that are revolutionary are done. We live in an open source society. 
And that is a playground for visionaries. So don't be afraid to say, oh, God, if I don't do it now, somebody else is going to do it. And then they're going to do it better. And this. No, listen, we're all playing in the same pool. I give this analogy like, you know, if I'm some nerd popping sits in my mom's basement in Silicon Valley, I get this great idea. I can go to Google. They'll, I can go right into their headquarters, jump and swim in their pool. And, and if it's a good idea, when I get out, they'll keep my swimsuit. Great. Yeah. That's a wonderful collaboration. So, it, man. yeah. All right, let's start. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so much information about you. People can Google, but I'm just curious. I, I, I'm curious about this dynamic is because I'm an only child. So, and I got, you know, I grew up uh, in Philly and my parents told me that I have to leave at an early age. But you grew up with 11, well, you're the oldest, so, but you at some point you had 11 siblings. So first of all, where did you grow up? And maybe we can kind of dive a, a little bit into the childhood dynamic. Yeah, yeah. So uh, good question. So I'm the oldest of 11. Uh, grew up in kind of a rural farming community in middle Oklahoma. Uh, we had to invent our own fun. Um, we, we would be, you know, we didn't understand what poor was then, but I would say that we were very poor. <laughs> we had no idea. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a point when five of us boys shared the same bed. And so we kind of laid out on a grid pattern on the bed. And, and um, you know, I remember growing up, it was like uh, we, we didn't have much money. And so the power would get shut off for you know time to time. And so mom would get us all in the room and and uh, we would light candles and we'd roast marshmallows. It was campfire time. You know, so we became experts at all for one, one for all. OK, at um, sharing and understanding the common need of your brother or your sister mm. i think taught even if we didn't have it imprinted in us it taught us a forced lesson of compassion and something that you know that there is there's just such a, an amazing uh, power in generosity and love and humility and so i wouldn't trade it for anything um not to say that it wasn't difficult you know because you know people have this brady bunch ideology of of us, there's seven boys and four girls, and you know it's not like that at all. I don't know if you guys can see. I mean, my nose is so big. I was going to say, you and Joel had uh, some uh, challenges. Oh there. yeah, we we <laughs> broke each other's noses. I mean, you know, but but then at the end of the day, we came together to to form a company that was based around the ideals that our mother really instilled in us, which was stick together, you know, and that all for one, one for all mentality and. And that's how we started our businesses too. Okay. Um, you know, opening one of the, you know, first, uh, cannabis clinics in Colorado years ago was centered around service. Okay. It was centered around serving, uh, originally the, the design was veterans with PTSD and opioid addiction and working on getting them off those, those harmful pills. Um, and then it soon became, you know, a haven for cancer patients. We put a theater in there. Everything that we did was kind of centered around community or tribal or family involvement from our roots. And so, uh, let, let me back up a little bit because I was in the dispensary business, and the, it, it, there's there seems to be like there's a step that was skipped in the in in between. So you're you're poor, and uh, you know you have a big family, but then it wasn't in Colorado, and then you. Uh, and then you have to, it takes some uh, investment to open up a d dispensary, not just passion, which is, which is great. So was there, was there an intermediary step there? Yes. Yes, there was. So I, I don't tell this one very often, but yes. So I, I was going to, going to college in, at Colorado State. Okay. So we, I left Oklahoma uh, when I was 18. The entire family basically went at the same time when I was 18, 19 years old. 
uh, got into school up in at CSU. One of my brothers also went there. I was teaching school at an alternative high school, and uh, I'd been fascinated by the art of cannabis and the endocannabinoid system. And I was just, I've always, I'd always wondered how and why it wasn't a successful treatment modality. Well, at this point in time, I was a drug counselor and an anger management counselor at this school, but I was always experimenting with new ways of growing cannabis. And then back in those days, this is before the turn of the century, you know, um, that was very taboo yeah. and, uh, it was done in a basement. Well, long story short, I got caught, um, and, uh, and I lost my job, of course, as a drug counselor. I didn't consider what I was doing drug, you know, related, but at the same time. And uh, I got into real estate and kind of got my mom involved in that and a couple of my brothers. And we we, we, did, we were fortunate enough to come in as a family and do fairly well, keep things going with that. And uh, started to uh, call and bug a lot of the scientists from Hebrew University mm-hmm. to try to get down to the bottom. Like, for example, uh, Dr. Galili, Ruth Galili of Hebrew University put out a paper on the Sinai Desert rats. And I couldn't get it out of my head how all of these rats were taking this little known compound, CBD, and somehow converting their A1C levels, you know, uh, uh, reducing those because their only diet is the shrub in the Sinai Desert and their bodies can't process the complex starches. So they all convert to type 2 diabetes. So finally, I get a hold of her, you know, and this is right before opening the clinic, which I'll get to. And I said, Ruth, you know, she said, what do you want? First, you know, <laughs> choppy. Yeah. And uh, she was old at the time. And um, I said, well, I, I just don't understand why this is not a successful treatment modality. She said, well, nobody wants it. I said, well, why does nobody want it? <laughs> because it doesn't get you high. And I said, oh, that's it. okay. And uh, and so it was shortly after that that my brothers and I, we huddled together at the first clinic there. It was called the Peace in Medicine Center, the PMC. And it was the only rundown building that somebody was crazy enough to lease to me back in those days. And I literally moved in there with a sleeping bag and a tool belt and uh, knocked walls down and, and had friends coming in and painting and we designed the place. So when you say we started it up with nothing and then a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, grows that were not necessarily up to standard because we didn't have any laws at the time. Right. Um, but began to, to hire disabled veterans um, were, were our first hires. And I brought the brothers together and said, hey, guys, remember this. Cannabidiol, CBD. I said, what the hell's that? I said, I don't know much about <laughs> it, but I'll tell you what, I think it's, I think it has to do with the, you know, some of the future of the healing of cannabis. And out of that huddle, you know, kind of came this new passion because we started to see people lining up. I mean, all over the place. And some of the things at some point in time, I need to write a book on some of the ways that we actually got doctors to write in that day, because we would have, you know, 80 year old cancer patients coming in, you know, going through chemotherapy. Um, with bandanas on their heads and, you know, saying, God, I mean, it's the only thing that works for me. I said, well, listen, we can't sell it to you. You don't have a caregiver. So we started to do, do a lot of very inventive modeling. Like I, I found a doctor who was going through bankruptcy in the Sunday paper and took him to lunch and didn't tell him, you know, what I was wanting, but I knew he needed some dough. So, uh, you know, we, we pulled some of those strings and before we knew it, we had an army of people, um, that we were helping and that we were humbled by. And uh, so we set on uh, projects of, of growing high CBD genetics and, and um, we, uh, ultimately we're looking at probably going into Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis. And uh, my brother Joel got a phone call from a very special 
mother, Paige Figgy, yeah. and said, listen, I've got my daughter. She suffers from uh, Trevay syndrome, five years old, you know, 300, 350 grand mile seizures a week. Um, we've been through 18 different pharmaceuticals. None have worked. I've brought her back to life twice. We've signed a do not resuscitate order and essentially saying our goodbyes. And, you know, we've seen that this might have anti-convulsive effects. What do we do? And, you know, we just stopped in our tracks. We're like, I, I, I don't know what we do. I mean, we, you know, we couldn't give cannabis to a five-year-old. I mean, it seems so crazy at that time. Mm-hmm. And we went through the proper channels with her neurologist and they said, listen, I mean, she's tried everything else. So we got even some special permissions and, uh, and began treating Charlotte. And she was, she was the first, the first domino that absolutely, I would just have to tell you, Lynn, she exploded all of our lives. Um, and you started to see that shine come back and then and literally these seizures stopping and can eye contact and then getting out of the wheelchair and the feeding tube coming out. And uh, shortly after that, of course, Sanjay Gupta and CNN caught wind of this. And came how, how did they? The beautiful- That's how I was, like, how did that even happen? Because first of all, I mean, such a powerful thing that, that happened when you see this, because we, you know, we talk about cannabis all the time and, and, but when you see something with your eyes, because you know, cancer patients come to us with with visible tumors, and then after you know a month or two, the tumors subside. Like visually going through this does something to you and makes you you know connect even more and want to do this more. But you know, an incredible story. But how did how did that come about? Where Sanjay Gupta? Because one of the reason why I wanted to mention this is. Uh, you know, my parents also had their journey with cannabis and, you know, think it's a drug and it's the same thing as opium. But I remember they watched that we 2.0. My dad called me. He's like, I think there's something here with this thing. You know, maybe maybe it's not a drug like the way I thought about it. So it let like middle America it was anti-drug, you know, with the whole uh, Reagan thing start connecting to a little more. So how did that come about? Well, I mean, I think that was a floodgate. You know, I mean, that, that, that was it. And, and, and passing understanding, you literally saw polls shut, shut, shoot up. And what we thought was ultimately, if we could get the world's, you know, most famous practicing neurosurgeon who had previously been against this on board with this, then it could, it could, you know, help forward the movement, of course. But our primary thought was help get this into the hands of more children. And, so a number of people were reaching out to him. And one of our friends, um, I'm blanking the name, but finally made a hard connection. And we got the phone call. And I remember Joel and I went that night, my brother, to the to the Marriott in, in Colorado Springs and met him. And, and within five minutes, we knew that this man was going to be objective, that he was not sold on anything, but he was curious and, and, and objective being the key word there. And the next day, you just said it. When you see it, you're done. You're changed. Okay. And we watch Sanjay meet Charlotte. And you want to see a neurosurgeon do a 180, start crying on the spot. I mean, just absolutely say, and within a week, you know, I was wrong. I have been misled and I've done some of the misleading and I'm here to apologize. That's the kind of of a function that happens when you visibly witness a change in somebody's life. The other thing that happens is that you begin to, there's a certain amount of righteous enragement that begins to happen. And it certainly set in with us and it still sits into this day. 
when you start to now realize the battle and the fight that we had to do just to be able to, to get this to these children. Okay. I mean, something that we now know is even, you know, has a safer profile of vitamin C. Okay. Um, and we still fight the same fight, but at one point you mentioned weed 2.0, there was not a, 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 an empty room in any of our houses. We had a sick child in those rooms because there was an army of people moving to Colorado. That wasn't right. You know, Yeah. still isn't right where nations are, 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 are still not there, but, um, you start to realize that our health has been held hostage and, and, and continues to be. And, and wow, is it possible that nature has the answers? I mean, it seems like such a, such an insane concept when I say it. Okay. Cause everybody says, well, yeah, you know, nature, but it really does. Nature is our pharmacy. It is our laboratory. And, and we have gone so far off the path through single compound synthetic isolation and the profitization of your health, where your health is literally a commodity traded on the exchange. Mm. My friend, that's evidence of a very sick society. Okay. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe, maybe it's designed this way for a, the best subscription model that you can possibly have. If you really think about it, the healthcare system in the United States is not broken. According, that's exactly the way it's supposed to be for those companies who are profiting. If you look at what happened with the crash of uh, 2008, you know everybody's down. Not the pharma companies. Uh, you're, you're depressed. Got something for you. You have anxiety. We got something for you. And you're on the subscription model. So they're doing what they're supposed to be doing for their shareholders. Oh, buddy, it's not broken for them. It's just the rest of us. Exactly. You know. And, and it becomes this um, this synthesized cocktail of symptomatic treatment. We treat symptoms. We forgot to go after the body. We forgot to go after the cause. When natural medicine came under attack was in around 1935. Shame on us. When when the pharmaceutical companies go to the Supreme Court and 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 petition to patent nature, they said no. They said okay, it's fine. We can synthesize it. Can we own that? Sure. Immediately. Cannabis, hemp, all kinds of different natural remedies get taken off the pharmacopoeia list and become demonized and illegal. We didn't even know what many things like autoimmune dysfunctions were in the early 1900s. Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, ALS, MS, lupus, diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, epilepsy, autism, fibromyalgia. How long? We can go on and on and on and on. We began inventing diseases. Okay. And so then now we, we come to 2012. And we encounter a phenomenon and nobody can believe it. And then we still have to continue to fight this fight. And there still has not been any form of adequate uh, progression in regards to approvals, regulatory process with the FDA. In fact, our company, Charlotte's Web, is at public enemy number one with, with, with groups like this and governmental regulation. Why? Because we're effective, because we standardize. But, you know, because we, we want to put science behind it. Anybody else can, you know, you can slap whatever you want out there. And there's so much garbage because of lack of regulation. And, and, and there's, there, there's no oversight. But the minute you start making an impact, look out because they're coming for you. And, and, and that's what I mean by hostage. You know, yes, their, their systems work incredibly well for them. In fact, the pharmaceutical industry is the largest industry in the world, three times oil and gas. I mean, of course, we don't want to talk about the war machine. That that would be for another podcast. 
But we have gone so far as a society and gotten away from nature we, that we forgot to treat the cause. You know, we forgot to treat the whole body itself. And I think, you know, what the work you do is so important. It's so, so important, man. It's so personal. It's so personal. And that's what I mean when we talk about creating these mutative blips. You know, that's what you're doing, brother. You're doing the Lord's work, okay? Yeah. And the further you push, the further off, you know, the better off people are going to be ultimately. And so even though you start out, we, you know, it was not popular. We had our bags packed, ready for prison several times, okay? Uh, we were quite sure the DEA was coming to beat down our door because we were giving this to kids. Yeah. Um, but you know what? All in all, we would do it again and again and again and again. And our only our only regret, if you, if I can call it a regret, would be the fact that we um, we don't have regulatory process that allowed us to go and help more people. Yeah, because you're you're only limited to you know the the people who are coming to Colorado and there's or can just get their products there and that that's it. Or, or taking a whole nother approach to nature. And let's talk about nanotizing and standardizing and increasing bioavailability and looking at mechanisms of action and safety studies and assays. Can't do yeah. those, you know, especially with, with, with natural compounds and things that work. Well, let, let me ask you a question about the original, like, uh, you know, uh, Charlotte's Web cultivar, the original high cannabidiol cultivars you were, you were creating. If I remember correctly, it was somewhere around 20% uh, CBD, but you also had, you know, THC and other uh, cannabinoids uh, in there as well. Did when regulations actually changed and, you know, you're part of doing a lot of that work, then your formulation had to change too, correct? Yes, that's correct. So, I mean, you, and, and it had to change, especially when we're talking about THC levels and based on state lines and visible borders and boundaries, you know, so we could have one formula proved to be incredibly effective for a child in Colorado, whereas the formula, you know, in Illinois or wherever, take your pick, you know, couldn't, couldn't be that. And so how, how do you brand something if you can't, me if you can't measure it and how can you brand and, and, and uh, study something if you're not going to measure it? So, it's very, it's a, it's kind of been a rigged game. Yeah. And you bring up the original formula. I think it's really important to know that I like to give uh, uh, band references. Uh, Bill Graham, Father Time, said about the Grateful Dead. He said, you know, they're not the best at what they do. They're the only ones that do what they do. Okay. That's what the original formula really is. Okay. Because it's an oxymoron. It's whole plant standardized. That's it. It has THC in micro levels. It has over 550 compounds that well, by the time it arrives at your door, okay, it's a plus or minus margin of error, whether you get it in, you know, New York or Texas, it's a margin of error of plus or minus 10%. Okay. Put that in retrospect, the FDA has a plus or minus acceptance range in a single compound of 22%. Okay. How do we do that? Vertical integration. That product, if it were to change moment by moment, batch by batch, children suffer. Okay. So it had to be. So we have to use high pressure liquid chromatography and GC mass spectrometry in the fields, wherever those are grown and test those out and understand when the perfect harvest is and test them through batch. Um, and so, I mean, that's, that's where, you know, I'm not, I, I, I hate to put feathers in our own company, but the original formula is quite an anomaly and we would, we feel like we were served short because felt like we could have created so many more of those, especially with higher THC, yeah, higher CBG, 
higher CBN, you know, all of these other cannabinoids. So I feel like we got cut off. We got, we snuck one past the yeah. goalie <laughs> and then we got cut off before we could continue well, to work. Hopefully uh, there will be additional work coming. I, I, I wanted to ask your opinion of this because, uh, you know, being a, a, a person of plant medicine and uh, believing in uh, plant medicine, this whole push for recreational cannabis, uh, I, I just, I don't personally don't like the word recreational. I think adult use, we're adults, we can do whatever we want. But do you think that spotlight is detracting from the actual therapeutic, you know, parts of this plant and what you guys were, were doing and are doing? Great question. hundred percent. Okay. It's, it's a detractor. Now, am I for recreational marijuana? 100%. Okay. I like the word adult use as well. I don't like recreational. I think it does a horrible disservice, but people have asked me a lot of times and listen, please do not take this the wrong way listeners. Okay. Cause I'm not, I'm not coming after you because I'm a hippie. I just, you know, I I'm, I'm a dead head. I'm, you know, do not get me wrong. But when it came time to actually get serious about this, we had to put on our three-piece suits, go to the Capitol steps, hire oil company and pharma lobbyists to be able to get things done. So people said, what was our biggest challenge? And our biggest challenge was the recreational uh, push because we could get nothing done when people would occupy Capitol steps and blow pot smoke in cops' faces because they felt like it should just be legalized. Great. I get you. I understand that. But guess what? There's a lot of other people that this is their lifeline. This is very, very serious business. And so it gets lost and it still does today to an enormous degree in pop culture. Even the word medical marijuana doesn't cut it. Okay. This is a whole different level of what we're talking about here. And and I don't feel like we've even, maybe we've scratched the surface, but we certainly haven't gotten into the bloodstream yet on what the, the, what this, what's possible with this plan. And a lot of that has to do with the detraction in pop culture and recreational use. The other thing I would say about recreational use is this. People say, ah, you know, this medical stuff is just a joke. I hear that all the time. So you use marijuana. Yeah, but I use it recreationally. Okay, what does it do for you? Ah, you know, it calms my anxiety. Okay, that's therapeutic. Well, it makes me happy. That's therapeutic. Okay, it helps me sleep. That's therapeutic. Okay, so let's, let's, let's we should be, be more careful with the words that we choose, um, because, you know, language is very, very powerful. And, uh, and I think there, there has to be a wider uh, chasm between the adult and recreational use side and the very serious science and implications of this plan. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I, I got invited. So uh, my, one of my partners from the dispensary days, he had an event, a consumption event uh, a few weeks ago, and he invited me to speak. I'm like, ah, you know, I really don't do that kind of thing. But for you and your brother, I'm going to go and speak. This was an event that was like, there were dab rigs set up everywhere. And it was one of those, uh, you know, young dabbing and dabbing. Nobody even introduced me. It was just so, it, it reminded me back in, in the mid 2000s when we had this message, same kind of thing going backwards. I got up on stage. I'm speaking. Nobody's listening to what I'm saying pretty much. I'm talking to them. And the one time that I get a rise from the dabbers is if anybody had an adverse uh, effect from an edible. So I had some people raise their hands. I'm like, ah, so you guys are dabbing. Don't you think it's interesting that you are consuming so much THC right now? Your receptors are overly bound. It's the like free radicals of THC. You know, but when you consume a, a gummy, you know, you're freaking out. Then you think, so now I got their attention. But at the end of the day, or at the end of my talk, 
but I'm just about to be finished. And a, a young guy comes up to me. He's like, Hey man, and I'm like, he's stoned off his ass. He's like, Hey man, uh, are you going to be done soon? Cause uh, we're going to get the music back on. And I'm like, yeah, man, I, I'll be done soon. But let me ask you a question. You, you like smoking weed, right? You're, you're doing it now, right? He goes, yeah, man. I said, well, the reason why, cause you're standing on the shoulders of people like myself and other people that actually stood for what you believe in and help to legalize this for specific medicinal purposes. Because if you look at the history, that's how this whole movement started. And that's where I hope it's going to end up. I have no issue with, you know, dabbing and do whatever you want. I'm like I said, I'm, I'm a hippie too, man. I, I love cannabis and I consume it daily, but there is a purpose. There's a therapeutic purpose to it. And, and this, this, you know, I think maybe it's a cultural thing with uh, younger people because I remember being this way, but even people like Tommy Chong, who is the oldest stoner that we kind of reference, when I did his DNA test, he goes, oh, well, that makes sense. That's why these kind of things made me feel this way. So even if you're not going to do anything differently, at least maybe you'll acknowledge and learn and open your mind. No, absolutely, man. Listen, that's so funny. I, I've been invited to so many of those in the early days, and finally I was able to, to discern because uh, I, I turned off so many people. The minute you start talking about science you know, and relevance, it's like, all right, man, where's the music? What, who is this guy? You know, um, had Richard Nixon's on stage <laughs> preaching to me. You know, and there was actually at one point in time I was so hated when we were, we were passing uh, House Bill 1284, the very first medical bill. Um, and uh, in Colorado, and there was a a, a hate group um, that that a thousand dollars for the first first person to burn my house down. Oh. Somebody actually came out and took pictures, but they took pictures of my neighbor's <laughs> house. So, so you you can imagine that conversation with my neighbor. But yeah, I mean it's it, it, it's 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 utterly absurd. And and I am here for all of them. Okay, go dab go dab away, go for it. But but. But leave, leave, leave the serious yeah, stuff. Don't, don't be a hater. Just follow along. It's all, it's all one plan and you can use it for whatever purpose you want to use it for. Um, I'm curious, you talk about your mom a lot and she's been, you know, a, a huge influence in your life and, you know, your, your family's life. What was your relationship with your uh, father like? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good question. I'm not often asked that. So my father, you know, I love my father. Um, my biological father very much. He had 11 of us, you know, um, he's a very interesting person. He was not around, uh, did not raise, you know, was not a father, um, uh, very absent. I would say, you know, um, dismissive, um, I, to, to an extent, uh, I would say a lot of mental abuse there. Um, and, and being, you know, watching that and growing up around that hardened me and I, and I don't want to speak for my brothers and sisters but i think to a certain extent a lot of them as well and then ultimately in my late 20s i had harbored so much bitterness and disdain for this guy who didn't take care of these amazing kids that he had you know that we all tried to pitch in and take care of these kids um and i realized i i learned i learned such a beautiful lesson i'm going to correlate this to a lesson i learned in cannabis the same thing basically and and it was like i realized oh my god i know exactly I, he's my perfect role model because i know exactly what i'm never going to be you know and and now that i have uh, uh, have children it's it's like oh my gosh every waking minute okay is like devoted 
to that life. And so I, I honor him and I thank him for that. And, and I'm actually, you know, fairly close with him and, and it's okay. It's okay. Is the, is the lesson that happened to me around the exact same time. I think I was 30, 31 years old when I did this clip and just lost bitterness in my life completely. I'd come up to the Peace and Medicine Center and people were picketing outside. And I, I get the phone call and I say, okay, I'm here. I pull in the back and it comes that it, that it was like the factions of uh, this group focus on the family in Colorado Springs, a right-wing Christian organization. I think a lot of people call them focus on the family. And, um, and I, you know, Jesus is against weed or this or that. And then the news crew started to come out. They said, what are we going to do? And it was right around that time. I get this peaceful resolve. And I said, man, we're going to do what Jesus would yeah, do. Smoke weed. So get the <laughs> tables out and let's go feed them, you know, order pizza, you know, bring some cold water. It's a hot day. And, uh, you know, and so kind of like that same transition with my dad, when you forgive like this, the, 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 the walls come down. And so when we brought the food out for these folks, I noticed something. About 70% of these people got pissed off and left, but 20, 30% stayed and said, you know, cause I said, I think we just have a misunderstanding here and let's, let's, let's have a conversation. You guys look hungry. Let's talk. And then before it was over, it was like, do you think this could work for my mom's arthritis? Yeah. Like, I don't know, maybe, you know, and within months I'm getting invitations to speak in churches. Okay. So what I realized through that ultimate humility and surrender was don't there's no judgment there's only forgiveness that's all a misunderstanding everything is and never ever ever be an activator yeah when you activate you go against misunderstanding causing that person to build up their walls even higher creating a wider gap in misunderstanding instead educate and just take the time you know to understand the situation so, and 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 I've, I've applied that I think my dad was the first lesson in that, and I can't thank him enough for it. So great. Yeah, great I mean, I, I can so relate. I had a very difficult uh, relation with my dad. And at one point, uh, I, I was at a, a shrink's office, and I had an epiphany where I was like, why am I giving that much power to that? And since that time, like, I talked to my dad every single day, but I did learn, and he, he got upset at me. I told him, he, he was complimenting me on my parenting skills. Like, you're such a great dad and all that stuff. And I slipped and said, well, that's because I do the opposite of what you did. <laughs> he, was not, he was not happy with that at all. But, you know, in, in a way that it's true. Um, your dad was, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he was re religious, right? He was, uh, so how did... And you brought up, you know, the the, the Christian group. How how did he feel about cannabis and what you were doing with all that stuff? You know, having that that pull with uh, religion as well. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a it was taboo. You know, I mean, it was against God's law. I mean, we grew up in not just religion. I mean, I'm talking about staunch Southern Baptist bullshit. I mean, some of the most legalistic nonsense you've ever seen. And um, and so the idea of cannabis was, that was out of bounds. But what was hilarious is, you know, even my mom, you know, grew up in that religious, you know, uh, ideology. But she immediately did a, an about face. The first trip that she took him was the ultimate supporter. It took a while for my dad to come around. And then pretty soon he started to mix soil and started to get involved and volunteer, you know, and it became a family affair. But religion, that's another amazing, the biggest lesson, you know, of my life. When I was like 16, 17 years old, I, I, it hit me what a metaphor was. And I'm like, well, 
And I got no qualm with religion whatsoever, just what religion can do to people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think I went to my dad and said something like, you know, I don't, if you still believe that this old man built a damn boat, somehow got two and two of every creature on this thing and somehow got him to fuck, um, I, I can't <laughs> do that anymore. <laughs> it's funny, man, because I'm a, I'm not really religious, uh, whatever, but I, I went to uh, Kabbalah class, which is like a, a Jewish mysticism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, oh, yeah. but, so, and I found a lot of it really helpful because it's, it's just real. There you go. <laughs> I'm a big student of the yeah, Kabbalah. So it's, 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 you know, a lot of stuff is really practical stuff you can use. Like, you know, don't be reactive, be the, the proactive formula and re- respond, don't react. Like, great stuff. They start telling stories about the guy that lived in the cave for 300 years and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to raise it. I'm like, are there, are there pictures? <laughs> there, is there a record of this guy living for 300 years? Because I want to get his DNA, see what was going on, replicate that and see if we can live longer. Uh, but it, all these stories are <laughs> cracked me up and people just, uh, you know, yeah, it makes sense to me. 300 years. Sure. Why not? All uh, right. They, they hook, line, and sinker, and then they they get stuck on the ideology, not the message in the story. You know, it's like, listen, um, Jonah didn't get swallowed by a whale and live in this whale. I promise. <laughs> and then, you know, but the point of the story was that he 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 understood his life's mission and went to Nineveh. You know, so you, the people, t- you know, they take the baby with bathwater, right? And that that's really unfortunate. And so I've taken this whole fusion of religion all my life and moved it in. And, and I study this amazing quantum physics called human design. It's just absolutely mind blowing. And even incorporating that into your work, okay? Which you know um, we can talk about some t- another time. But you know very good and well. I mean, every person has a code. Yeah. Everything is personal. We are not homogenized beings. Okay. We're not here to get in line and take a sacred sacrament and go and, and confess to somebody who taught you know, veins on our behalf for God. We are it baby. And, and everyone is different. Okay. Everyone is unique. We all have our own fingerprint. We all have our own construct, our own avatar that's experiencing this human condition. Yeah. So even from a spiritual perspective, brother, everything is personal. I love it, man. Okay, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that's why we're yeah, creating this. We're creating this beautiful place down in in the tropics. Um, you know where people can come and celebrate that and remember that. Yeah, I want, I want to get yeah. into that a little bit. But I still have a couple. Uh, by the way, did your dad oh, yeah. uh, meet Charlotte? Oh yes. So in that oh, yeah. meeting, I'm just kind of I'm trying to live through what my dad's eyes would be. So. My dad, with his, uh, my parents, with their beliefs about you know cannabis or plant medicine in general, then they witness, you know, they saw on on uh, Sanji's show, but seeing you know Charlotte in person and witnessing that, I'm, that must have had like some sort of impact, right? Oh yeah, immediately, you know, I mean, it, it melt. It's a complete melt because there is nothing that you can say at that point in time. All arguments go out the window. I mean, I mean, unless you're a psychopath, I guess, but, but there, there, there is nothing that you can say. I mean, it was like watching, you know, whether it's my dad, I think the most impactful was Sanjay Gupta. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who wanted to find out the information and what was this real? And then 24 hours later is on his knees going, yeah, holy shit. This is real. Um, you know, it happened with my father. I mean, my, you know, my, my entire family and, and pretty soon, even my dad, I mean, everybody was on board to, to help or open their house or, you know, whatever people, whatever 
family so needed. What, it's the Stanley brothers who originally started. What happened with the Stanley sisters? Uh, did they uh, want to be involved or not be involved in, in the company? That's a good question. So, yeah, I mean, the four girls are amazing in their own right. My, my sister, Jen, has... You know, was kind of a founder and startup of a, of a company that's been very successful. And then the um, the three younger girls um, are kind of uh, beautiful, uh, traveling hippies and artists. And so they've been volunteers. They've helped with um, the Realm of Caring Foundation yeah. and, uh, and and children and needy needy families. So even though they've been in the background, they've been very much a part of it. So. I'm curious because uh, you're somebody that I admire in the, not only in the industry, just in general. Uh, and I, and I, I, I sort of uh, see this admiration in so many different ways because coming from nothing and then being able to be whatever you define success, like, you know, financially successful, you, I mean, it's hard work, but people only see the the result, like, Oh, it's a big company and it's, uh, you know, uh, see the Charlotte's web and it's a uh, uh, distributor everywhere, but there is a certain amount of notoriety because you sort of became uh, one of the major faces of the company aside from Charlotte herself, but you're the one that's out there speaking. You do a fantastic job. Your Ted talk was, was great. And I wanted to find out how you, how you actually got that. But uh, second question is how do you deal with the notoriety, the fame, the success, the, uh, you know, the financial windfall, the, you know, happened from working your ass off and, you know, making a, a successful business. How do you like absorb that impact? Yeah. Uh, good question. So for me, I don't, I don't consider, I don't consider fame or notoriety, you know, it's fun sometimes, you know, for, for, for people to say thank you, you know, or, or, Hey, you know, know what you started and, and thank you. But the fame and notoriety for me personally is not, is not a driver. You know, um, I, I, I consider myself a servant. Okay. And when you, when I, when I get into any endeavor, a startup, a entrepreneur, Charlotte's web, it has to come from a, a pure place of intent. Okay. And that for me, I consider myself just a, a messenger, a servant. You know, that I allow this beautiful creation to work through me. It's not me, certainly not me. I'm just a worker. And, um, and so while it's been, you know, the ultimate blessing of all of our lives to be able to impact so many lives, you know, we're just, we call ourselves the FedEx guys. We're just the delivery men, you know, and we, we, we accept that opportunity and that responsibility. Um, with with a with a, an open and a very light yeah heart. i think being a facilitator for something and you know taking uh, all the sticks and stones and everything that's thrown your way i uh, i see this i see this happening in this industry and it's, and it's unfortunate because you just broke it down to exactly what i connected like i want to help as many people as possible but you're around this industry and it, people are getting Funding. Here's a twenty million dollars. Here's fifty, and they start with the Ferraris and the houses and all that stuff. And I meet these people, and they and they they're changed. And I try to have this conversation. I say, you are a facilitator. The reason why you are you have this is because of the people. Like it's it's yes, we talked about recreational, but it, it really is because you're there to help. So. 
you know, maybe some people, and and I can see that some of these uh, businesses and some of these people now, when uh, markets have changed a little bit, now they're hurting and now they, uh, you know, maybe they sold a Ferrari or two to kind of, you know, pay their bills. But it's that sense of gratitude for the industry, the plant, and the and just being being in cert, you're a servant to the people and providing them a here's I'm just a facilitator. I always believe in that too. So I, I really, you know, appreciate that you you say that in that in that way. But still there are some financial, you know, windfall that you, you receive from your success. And uh, I'm I'm assuming I'm sort of leading to uh, a segue of what you're doing in Costa Rica. So I'm assuming that there is a, a way that you've utilized some of uh, that windfall to continue to give and uh, and change. And as we started talking about being that visionary, uh, so tell me about what you're doing now. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, so segue because I I, I want to take that level of service and facilitation always in my life. Okay. So I know I don't have Ferraris and, you know, I still drive the same, you know, truck and I'm just not motivated by that. What I'm motivated by is mutation and, and disruption and changing um, the norms. And and what I've seen over the course of, of, I would say the last 20 years of my life has been a real deep dive and in, in, in learning into surrender um, into the world of plant medicine, of nature, you know, and I don't, I know what I don't know. In fact, I like to say, I don't know anything because I'm learning something new every day. And so Costa Rica has been a part of my life for about 22 years since I went down the first time. And, and I've always been drawn to this area called Arenal uh, on this amazing, majestic volcano in this rainforest. And, uh, and I, 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 several years ago purchased this property, um, on a ridge line that overlooks this volcano and have been working for years now on implementing a project that creates a place where people can remember what tribe is, what community is, what it means to give, what it means to serve, what it means to celebrate, what it means to live life, what it really means to heal. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I want to take this concept way beyond wellness travel, you know, or a Miraval or, or one of these experiences, you know, that, that people can have. And I wanted to bring this into a uh, a place of celebration centered around frequency and vibration and sound and healing and music and plant medicine, um, almost like, uh, um, you know, kind of like a, almost like a daily festival, the way that festivals were meant to, to be in ancient times, which is a tri- tribal healing. And that's exactly what we're creating. So I'm taking the, the ideologies that I have learned over the last two decades and putting them on this 103-acre spread in a very special place where we focus on three things, the quantum human, the quantum self, the genetic human, <laughs> a la working with you, and the biological side, okay? Where I believe that it's a body-mind-spirit situation of one is out of whack, the other one's out of whack. Mm. Two are out of whack, one's out. So it, it takes three and one. And so we focus on no dogma. Um, and we focus on, uh, self transformation, the discovery of the self. And so we're putting together this insane, I say it's insane. It's so insanely beautiful. Um, you know, a uh, collection of sacred geometrical, um, uh, uh, buildings, uh, sacred sound domes connected with, uh, projection systems and floating floors. 
and sensory explosion, sensory deprivation, various types of human bio biofeedback technologies where you can literally watch yourself meditate in light and color. Amazing equine program where we, we put together, you know, the horses for the EMF detectors. <clears throat> They're the third party objective validators of your progress. Mm. Uh, mud slides into volcanic mud pit, you know, to get down with Mother Earth, an amphitheater and a stage for concert performances and talks like TED Talks with Ted Fierce to Tread in uh, consciousness and ecology. So it's a meeting place. It's a campus. Um, of uh of celebration and and you know i i've i've been to places and stayed with the shipibo tribes and, and worked with ayahuasca and and bufo uh medicine san pedro peyote psilocybin um and and i've learned you know uh, as a as a humble student from all of these things and so i wanted to create a place that kind of was able to to exemplify that in 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 one area um and all in a, in a comfortable place a comfortable setting very very biophilic but also a place where guests can explore their own genetic profiles. Okay. We want to learn. And that's what we, again, Len, I don't want to give away the surprise. You know, um, when we open, let's do this again. But, you know, to be able to establish personalized diets for people and understand what type of nutrients they're upregulating and which ones are not. Um, and make it personal. It's personal. This place is a, a world's first transformational personalized, uh, uh, retreat for the staff. Yeah. I love that. It's, and this is, and, you know, you and I were talking about, you know, precision medicine. That's one of the things that I am super focused on this, this notion, because I, I'm really like, I'm fearful of giving blood, for instance. So going, going to a doctor, I just went with my daughter to a doctor and it's like, it, it's not a very comforting place. It's, it's full of fear and anxiety. She was fearful and anxious and, you know, they check your pulse and they do all this stuff. But I, I want something that that allows you to have a completely personalized precision experience that's specifically for you. It's not, uh, you know, we're all different, as you said. And uh, I, I think what, what you're doing there is is going to amplify what I'm talking about like a hundredfold. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for this because I have a feeling and I have a vision for this, that this is you're going to create a standard that's going to be replicated. You're going to replicate this all over the world. So that's that's what I, you know. Will hopefully participate in a in a small way with that as well uh, at some point. <laughs> oh, you're participating in this. You're going to get on that stage, you know, um, as as you know, part of the Founders Week, the first week we come. I mean, this is the message, bro. Yeah. The message is that you are not homogenized. You are unique. Okay, and you need to. We all need to be dealing with each other as these beautiful, amazing, unique creatures that we yeah. are. We are. You, you mentioned surrender. Did you read? Um, Michael Singer's The Surrender Experiment. Yeah, The Surrender Experiment was amazing. Mickey Singer's just, you know, the way he puts it, he's able to take the Bhagavad Gita, uh, Vedic scriptures, um, Kabbalah, the Bible, the Quran. He takes everything and can compose it into one. And, um, you know, his newest book, Living Untethered. Yeah. It's just an absolute must-have. Uh, you know, we, in fact, we'll be doing living untethered readings inside the dome uh, because oh, okay. it's so important for for mantra. Because it really, at the end of the day, we have become the projection of what we think we are based on our age from two to seven years old. As we developed, we developed in the Vedic scriptures. They call some scars or, or conditioning. And then we defend those things the rest of our lives. And so our either life depends on defending those, and we're so exhausted defending them because it's not really who we are, 
or we spend our time shedding those and, and understanding who we are. And so the work that you do, the work that we do in quantum physics and design with people at a place like this in Costa Rica allows, you know, it's kind of a cheat sheet. It allows you to come in and, and shed that bullshit, shed that decon, decondition, man. And, and shine the way that you're supposed to shine. You were not made for disease. You were not made to suffer. You were not made to struggle. Okay. All of that's bullshit. That's an illusion. It's a lie. Yeah. And it's time that we all come together and collaborate on this for our own unique survival. Hey, when you went to Sundance, uh, how was that experience? Did you uh, party with uh, the uh, Hollywood stars? And stuff? We did. <laughs> I've never been, so I'm curious. And we did. It was so cool. Oh, my gosh. It was so amazing. Um, you know, just being in these, like, little saloon-style places one after another with, you know, people that you only see on the screen – It was, and, and people that you see on the screen that come up and they're like, Oh my God, thank you so much for the original formula. Thank you for the gummies. Thank you for the, and you're just like, Whoa. Oh my gosh. Um, it, it's so, it's so funny because, uh, so I, I'm, I live in LA, but I'm not in Hollywood. Like that's not my, uh, that's not my people, even though indirectly, uh, we do, you know, work with a celebrity as well. But uh, I have a friend of mine who's uh, a producer. And uh, they they make films and the pretty well known and, and shows and stuff. So he invited me to a screening of a movie at CAA, uh, which is the uh, uh, the management. Uh, oh, yeah, that we're, we're repped by CAA. Yeah, yeah. The, the, so you know. Anyway, uh, so this guy Ariel Roman he made this movie called The Iceman, which I highly recommend. It's an amazing movie, and uh, so everybody's there. I I don't know if I should bringing names but you know yeah fine i don't care mark Wahlberg is there i'll get all all the there's a bunch of a-list celebrities and everybody's like you know talking to them everybody's talking movie stuff and i'm just standing i don't know anybody except for my buddy dylan i don't know anybody i'm just standing around i don't walk up to you know these guys and it's fine they're just other people and some people start coming up to me and they're like what do you what do you do i said um i'm in a cannabis business that's a that's kind of what i with my All of a sudden, I mean, I have like, there's a circle that's forming around me. Well, I have blah, blah, blah. What do you think I should use for this? And now, you know, Mark Wahlberg standing by himself. He's like, fuck that. I'm leaving. <laughs> Nobody's talking to me. So it was that kind of experience. But it's so interesting because, as you were mentioning, they're so used to their own circle of bullshit. Everybody's like, you know, talking about the same thing. And But when you're doing something that's completely different, there's a curiosity. And I was, uh, I was talking to... Uh, I'm even dropping again, Montel Williams. And he said, and he said that when he goes to Hollywood parties, like the highest level of A-list celebrities, he goes about 60% of them, somebody will say, hey, let's go smoke a joint. And everybody goes out. But he goes, but the hypocrisy of this, when they make shows, movies, anything, he goes, look at all the top shows. Uh, you can see they come home, they pour themselves a brown liquid and they drink. And they drink. Nobody comes home and, and packs a bowl or lights a joint or gets their you know, bong, maybe not, nah, whatever. But nobody does that, which is really reality of what happens. But they don't they don't portray that. So at some point, there's still the stigma. And I think until the time that Hollywood is going to be honest with themselves and start portraying people really how they are, uh, we're still going to continue this whole you know narrative. Absolutely. We, 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 we will. I mean, and even, even today in Hollywood, it's the brown liquid, it's the booze and the cigarette, yeah. which blows oh, yeah. me away. 
You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, but yeah, I've been to the A-list parties and it's like, hey, let's sneak out. The, I know you got to join on Let's sneak out the back. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's always like. Exactly. Yeah. That's the way it works real. All right. So I have a few questions I ask all my guests. Uh, so I'm going to start with, please describe your first experience with cannabis. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> my, my first experience with cannabis was in junior high. And we had stolen um, so a bag of weed from one of the high schoolers. And I knew where he put it in his locker. I knew what it smelled like. I don't remember how. And uh, so we took that and we, we rolled it best we could um, with, with paper from our, our classroom paper. <laughs> I mean, we had no <laughs> idea what we were doing. And, uh, and smoked it behind the shed of the, uh, town and country pool, just around the corner from my, my house with the neighborhood boys. And we got so fucking paranoid. Okay. That, uh, I basically, uh, uh, one of my buddies, Dan, I won't say his last name comes running in the house, screaming to call the police. <laughs> um, it was, I think I'm in fifth grade, sixth grade. And, uh, and, and I go in the house and just puke all over everything. Um, spinning up, up one side and down the other. And I'll tell you what, man, after that, it was like a 10 hour tutorial trip to the church confessions. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. I'll never forget this. And it was like, uh, I, I, there was a book called why knock rock that had a chapter in there about the, the devil's weed marijuana. I had to memorize that. Oh my God. The, 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 the high itself, because it was some dirt Oklahoma weed, you know, we were probably popping seeds and all kinds of shit, but yeah, that was my first time, and boy, I paid for it. That's wow, that's hysterical. I love that. Yeah, it, usually when I ask this question, it's one of two answers: either yeah, I got high and we were laughing our asses off, then we got munchies and it was it, or I was paranoid or I had my anxiety level was up and I thought my parents were going to catch me and all that stuff. That's uh, but it didn't, uh, it didn't slow you down from trying it again. No way. No, 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 no. <laughs> One thing is about me is I want, I can't say, whoa, in the middle of a horse race. And just because that bucked me off, I got on the next one. It wasn't too long because what I learned in those books about what not to do intrigued me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a big music guy and you know, you are as well. What do you remember? What was the very first concert that you ever attended? Oh, you're going to love this one. So my very first concert was, um, real concert was Belinda Carlisle. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, and, and I, my, my first real concert, Grateful Dead. Okay. Um, but when I was a kid, it was Belinda Carlisle and it was the heaven on earth tour just because I happened to be at a thing that my dad was doing. It was selling peddling some kind of bullshit at a state fair in Ohio. <laughs> and I took off from the booth and I, I snuck into Belinda Carlisle. So I, that was my first. Yeah. But then shortly thereafter, I started uh, going on dead tour and skipping school and being an asshole. <laughs> Belinda Carlisle was, uh, was hot. So sexy. Day, oh my God. Yeah. It was great. Um, what was the last concert uh, you attended? Oh man, um, with Dead and Co. Yeah, 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 Dead and Co. Um, I've developed a really uh, uh, awesome relationship with Billy Kreutzman, um, wow. founder, drummer. You know, we I've known him now, I guess, about fifteen years, and um, you know, even before this stuff all 
took off and they just, you know, I, I kind of grew up, I grew up on their music and, and, and the culture. And then when I met him, we just really immediately connected. And, um, anytime I get a chance to go and see him and give him a hug, he's just, he, he may be one of the most biggest fans of, of ours. Um, but maybe one of the most compassionate, brilliant men I've ever known. What, what do you think of John Mayer? No, I, I'll tell you a funny thing. Uh, you know, that I was with Billy, um, in Denver. And we were hanging out for a few days up at my cabin, and 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 then we went down to the hotel Monaco in, in Denver. We we're hanging out there with um, some of the guys from Billy and the Kids, with Mark Mark Brownstein, the Disco Biscuits, and uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. And we're there with Brownie, and 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 it had just been brought up at that time. I think this is two thousand. It's two thousand fourteen, and um, it's right around the Cannabis Cup because he was in town for that, and. And he's, he's like, he was really upset. I don't know if I should tell this, but I'll, t- I'll tell some, he, he's like, you know, can you believe that Bobby wants to do this? And, and, you know, John Mayer and this and that. And I'm just like agnostic. I'm like, yeah, man. I mean, he's a prodigy. He's technically perfect. You know, when it comes to that, he's a, you know, he's a head. And, uh, and so there was a lot of, uh, I had a lot of angst about it. I'm like, Jesus, I don't know what's going on. But you know what? Then a year, year and a half later, Billy says, this is one of the best times I've ever had. Yeah. And and I agree with him because it keeps the spirit of that phenomenon, which is the Grateful Dead alive. Yeah. I got I got in a lot of trouble uh at my the last Dadco uh show at the Hollywood Bowl. So you take a sh- I take a shuttle to the bowl from my park and where I live, and I take a shuttle. And uh huh. I'm not the biggest deadhead, even though I've been to a bunch of different uh, dead shows since you know I was I was really uh, young. But that's not the music I typically listen to all the time, even though I'm familiar with their music and I I go to the shows and I I like the whole atmosphere of it too. Because the people are are great. But uh, my my buddy who was with me, and by the way, I should say that we were on mushrooms at the time. So there, I, I want to preface that oh, yeah. <laughs> where there were some uh, there were some psychedelics involved. But uh, you know we're all we're all talking, and my my buddy's a big deadhead, and all these old deadheads like uh, and, uh, they're having this conversation, and I happen to say that John Mayer is a better musician than Jerry Garcia. He's <laughs> oh my god, man! It started. I was like, no, no, no. I you don't you guys don't understand. I'm saying that Jerry Garcia. There's no replacement. He is the dead, and that's you know he's a spirit. But I'm saying technically. John Mayer is a pro as a guitar prodigy. Like he can play anything, anything, regardless. And that, that's it wasn't the disparage, you know. Oh, no, no, that's it. You just you just you just set off an A bomb. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I've heard, I've seen people brawl over that before. <laughs> well, we were we were all we hugged it out afterwards. Yeah, and I, I, gave all, I gave them all we smoked a joint, I think, and we were fine. Especially with mushrooms. You know, one time in Deerfield, Indiana, in the parking lot, waking up in the tents, you know. And this beautiful pink sun comes up in the first dawn, first part of the morning. Everything in the parking lot is pink. Okay. There's nobody there. Pop your head out of the tent. And here comes this beautiful twirling hippie. And she just looks like an angel. And all she says is pink positively. And I just went, that's it. So I just want to encourage everyone always pink positively. I love that, man. Uh, are you listening to anything these days that's uh, that's interesting? Um, any new music-wise? 
Yeah. No, I'm just such an old school stickler. Um, I play, I play a lot. So I play guitar. Um, and I, I, I stick with, I'm so boring. I stick with Dylan. I stick with the <laughs> dead, you know, um, you know, some, some reggae and some of that, but I just don't, it's, it's so hard for me to branch off. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause, uh, you know, um, Spotify gives you your, your end sort of, uh, uh, I don't know if you l- listen to Spotify, yeah, but yeah. at the end of the year, they, they send you a link. So this is it. These are the best, these are the top songs of this, how long you listen for this. Is a, these are the artists. And I looked, and I, I, I do have some newer, like within the last 15 years, uh, uh, hip hop or so, but then it's like Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. I'm like, oh man, really? And Bob Marley, I'm doing this again. And like, I try and I listen to new music, but I, kind of still go back to the old school dude i do the same thing i it's not like i don't try i always come back to zeppelin or floyd you know i i it just it it's not broken so i I can't fix it and then the other thing that i listen to all the time i'm probably the only one that listens to old indian music and mantra you know music yeah i run every day right so i i I put i put on old indian mantras It's, it's weird no, that's cool, man. I I I sometimes listen to some of those things as uh, my frequency meditation, but at night. So it depends on the, you know which frequency I want to uh, connect to. Meditation is a weird thing for me because I I do TM or I, I I I try. I did TM, and I it's so even TM, which was the most effective one for me. It's really difficult for me to get into it because my mind is just like. It's so, so difficult. But sometimes when I have these difficulties, I'll just do the frequency meditation and and uh, sort of do the, the chanting along. I'm the same way. I have to have action and meditation. This is what we teach in human design. Everybody's personalized, right? Everybody's different. Exactly. So when you have this exactly. active mind like I do, it's defined, you know, and this is what we teach people. It's like, listen, don't get frustrated because you can't drop in like that. Right. You need a mantra. You need motion. Even then, people don't understand. I can motion. Yeah, you, you can move and meditate. And some people are designed to do that. My my best meditation. I, I did the. I don't know if you know who Stephen Kotler is, but he did the uh, uh, this uh, course. It's uh, the Flow Research Collective. So how do you get in flow? And all the stuff that I do, the where I find all the neurotransmitters, all the neurons, everything's firing when I hike. That's that's been my and that's my meditation. And I have the best ideas. Like I'm not thinking like surrender. I am in nature, hiking, doing my thing with my dog, whatever, whatever. But then just my mind is open to ideas and I have my phone and when I'm done, I'm like just notes. And I look at my notes. I'm like, holy shit. Like 90% of these came from hiking. Yeah. That's my meditation. That's it, man. But that's your meditation. And that's when you connect with your source, the creator, you know, we're always trying to make it happen. Even when we try to meditate, I mean, that's, that's, that's a paradox in itself. Don't try to do anything. Close your eyes. The creation is going to create, I promise. Just step into it and be great for every single moment of it. Because I promise you, you're only here for a second. And, and you know, yep. life is not coming at you with, with being vindictive. And you're not a victim. Just fall into it, man. Love that. Uh, what has cannabis meant in your life? Cannabis has meant um, uh, a mutation. Um, it's it's meant uh, a change. For me personally, it, it's so important to blow up the established milieu 
the complacency of things. What cannabis has done to me is teach me that there are horizons out there and discoveries uh, upon discoveries that are still yet to be made. Uh, the fact that cannabis has taught me that we are closer related to this plant than any plant in the known universe. We evolved with this plant, okay? It 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 agonizes, or, or a better word is triggers, uh, these receptor sites in our endocannabinoid system that modulate our central nervous system and our immune function. You don't get doesn't get better than that. And uh, so cannabis has been the the probably the wisest teacher out of all of the out of all the botanics I've I've ever encountered. I, I love that said beautifully. Uh, all right, final bonus question. You kind of already sort of described it, and but I, I'm curious if you can give a little more color. So the, the question is, please describe what your room looked like growing up. <laughs> My room was built with. Uh, <laughs> With Grateful Dead post. Okay, so my room. Now, this is interesting because I, I didn't have a room. I laid in a grid pattern with my brothers on the bed. I'm the heaviest because I'm the oldest. Gravity tells you that water flows down. Five kids, somebody's pissing that bed. I got wet. So over the course of time, I threw everybody's shit out of the closet. I went and, and bought a bunch of pillows and slept in the closet for a time. Okay. And I decorated that closet. <laughs> and when at that age, it was with Tiffany pictures and, and uh, Debbie Gibson. Okay. And then what I realized was we had an old storm cellar because everybody had to have a cellar in Oklahoma, you know, with the tornadoes. And so I went down and overtook this cellar, probably why I've got such terrible allergies today, because it was nothing but a mold pit. But what I did was I went in and I painted uh, uh, flower powers and then beach signs. And, and at that point in time, it was all about Jerry Garcia. And, uh, you know, mushrooms and all of that. But yeah, and it was all, you know, pretty much self-made. I love that. Uh, hopefully I, I didn't offend you with my Jerry Garcia comment versus John Mayer. Not at all. John Mayer's a prodigy. <laughs> I mean, to, when it comes to technical perfection, it's very difficult to, to argue. That, that's what I was, that's what I was committing. So you got that. Yeah. Hey man, uh, where can people contact you if you want them to contact you or find out about the, uh, the, resort retreat and uh, anything else that you want people to know you know charlotte's web obviously yeah no you yeah you want to get a hold of me i mean shoot me a shoot me an email um at uh, uh josh at signa that's s-i-g-n-a retreats plural.com yeah shoot me a shoot me an email ask me some questions you know and um i'd love to I'll fill you in on kind of what we're doing with uh with costa rica we're looking at uh, opening in 24 and uh, love to have you down for some love and hugs and medicine and uh, celebrate with you. Love it, man. Thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate this. Oh, man, it's just been, a, it's always such a pleasure, man. You just, you, you make my day even when we, we just have a, a casual conversation. So keep doing God's work, brother. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thank you. Got it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, 
best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network.